0: I keep on reminding us where we've come. Because some of you are new, some of you it's your first time and you're wondering what this place is all about. But really if you go back just 14 months and a couple of weeks, uh, we really were in a living room with no money, no equipment, no resources, not knowing what God was going to do. And today we are going to have our meeting with the city on our first building and we are buying a three million dollar building that we're gonna renovate it, and the renovation and the architecture is amazing what we're gonna do with this building. The coffee shop, the juice bar, the sanctuary, uh, the vault. We have a vault. Um, I know you don't get excited about I get so excited about the vault. I get so excited about the vault. I'm not gonna I'm gonna keep saying it to you, laugh harder. But there's just so many great things that God is doing. We've started two churches, one in in Big Bear, one in Abu Dhabi, United Emirates. We've released an album. I mean, this is all in a year. Just think about the miracle of God in this place. Today I got a text from my good friend uh, Anthony, and you may remember we dedicated uh, the baby in the womb, and he said the the contractions are coming right now. I said, I'm going to give you a shout out because... It was that couple who could not conceive, and we prayed for them, and she is getting ready to give birth to little Anthony probably today or tomorrow. And sometimes we forget about the miracles of God because we get so caught up in our stuff. Let me tell you something. If you're caught up in your stuff, you're in the wrong stuff. You have to get caught up in God. You have to see what God can do and what God is doing in your life and through your life and become we get so provincial in our thinking that we forget about this God who is the creator, sustainer, God of the universe and all of your uh, and my burdens somehow they're like a, a speck of dust that hang precariously on the lip of a bucket. How's that for a metaphor? I want you to think about a great big God who is bigger than all of your problems and you have to cast them to the cross. If you hold on to them, if you get offended, if you get bothered by them, you know what you've just proven? You've proven you have not been to the cross. You're still living in yourself and not living in the Christ-like life. And we all struggle with it. We all struggle with it. But stop. Go to the cross. When you study this doctrine of creation, and it's an amazing study because I believe it is one of the most controversial studies and doctrines that we're ever going to approach in Scripture because of the division it's made between what, or perceived division we have between science and God, science and the Bible. And actually, when you begin to look at it, it's amazing how these things begin to come back and God is the greatest scientist in the universe. There is a scientist by the name of Carl Sagan atheistic in his perspective this is what he said the cosmos is all that is or ever will be in other words there is no God everything comes back to the cosmos another Stephen Hawking's another atheist had a unusual kind of a twist when begin, theories begin to collapse around them and everybody's in the scientific world has tried to sustain themselves with these theories and they have to keep modifying their theories because the shelf life is about two and a half years it was five years not too long ago now the shelf life on a theory is about two and a half years Here's what Hawkins said, the odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like a Big Bang are enormous. I think there are clearly religious implications. You know what you just said, Hawkins? You just said there must be a God because I can't come up with an answer that really satisfies me in the the origin of beginnings. Beginnings. Now, is the earth young or old? And if you're new to this kind of a study, you probably aren't aware what that means. What it means is there are those within the Christian world, and those who are outside the Christian world, who view the world as being very young. Largely, they've kind of taken their lead from a guy by the name of Bishop Usher, who tried to get the chronology right and put all the the facts and the dates together and say, how old is the earth if we go back to Genesis and trace it? And he came up with about 6,000 years. So if you're in the scientific world and you say, you're telling me the world is 6,000 years old, that dinosaurs were on this planet 6,000 years ago, that Noah was pushing big dinosaurs into the ark? Hey, if dinosaurs were on the ark, nothing's left. All that is is lunchtime. Now stop and think about the implications of that. How do we take and how do we come up with an idea that the Bible is true and yet we look at the world as being much older than 6,000 years? So there are those who have an old earth perspective on the Bible. And they'll say the earth is maybe 13 billion years old. We don't know, but it's really, really old and there the, the idea is among christians that if i think the world is old that i must not be a true to my bible that's not true at all and we're going to show you that today i happen to be an old earth advocate but i believe in biblical creation and god is the creator sustainer of the entire universe and we're going to walk you through that today we have a lot to share so hopefully we'll get through it all now here's some of the big views one is historic uh, creationism and historic creationism says this basically that the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, 24-hour periods, and most likely he did it 6,000 years ago, but we can allow for more time in there. So we can make it older, so it's not a a problem. Another view, theistic evolution. A guy by the name of Francis Collins, who headed up the Human Genome Project, the DNA Project, he wrote a book, and, and in it he believes that God is the creator of the whole process but he used evolution he believes jesus died rose from the dead and that salvation is only found in the death burial and resurrection but he believes the process was theistic i don't believe that and i don't believe you have to believe that to have a good sound perspective on the cosmos third view is the one i advocate is what i call a time gap creationism and we're going to explain that in a little bit more detail, but the idea is there is a distance of time between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that allows for a greater length of time uh, to explain or, uh, to explain the scientific and the biblical all at the same time. Now, here's a couple of foundational truths I want to give you. Number one, the God of the Bible is the creator. Man didn't evolve. God created man in his own image, period. Nothing more needs to be said on that level. Number two, creation was ex nihilo, and that means that it, it's a Latin word that means it came out of nothing. God didn't start with a uh, a preset of matter and say, "Oh, here's some matter. Let me just build something." No, He created. He spoke the world into existence, as Scripture says. All right, um, and here's a scripture for that: Hebrews chapter eleven in verse three. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen are not made out of things which are visible so God didn't start with visible matter build the universe he spoke matter into existence and there was no matter until he spoke things into existence and number three God created all things he didn't create some things he created all things he created man He created this planet, the plant life. He created uh, angels and spiritual creatures. He created planets, the stars. He is the creator of all things. So let's go to our Bible now, Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and look what the scripture has to say. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Pretty simple, isn't it? What did God do? God created the heavens and the earth. You look at that it's about seven or eight words that god got it all started with he didn't go into a lot of explanations and say i want to convince you that i created the heavens and the earth he didn't try to say well you know this is kind of how it all came together no god created the heavens and the earth what's interesting if you study the book of genesis and you look at the order at which uh, genesis laid out in fact it's one that darwin just copied he just copied the the uh the whole species uh, order of species there he just really took r- the book of Genesis copied it, and said oh let me give you an explanation for it uh, so some some people that do probability studies came up with the idea well, what's the chance of Moses living as long as he did ago coming up with exactly the right order of how things actually transpired and he said it would be 130 with a hundred zeros after it to one that's the probability of a man coming up with that that far ago Well, it goes on to say in verse two, the earth was what without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now I want you to think about this for a moment and we're going to go into it in greater detail. Darkness was on the face of the deep, kind of like our auditorium here just got darker for some reason. I'm not really sure why, but darkness, when we get in our new building, we will have lights. Amen. And I, you know, I can always know when I'm only like seeing three rows, it's getting darker in here. But we will have lights in the new building. But remember when God, when darkness was on the face of the deep and then God spoke and said, let there be light. (laughs) And the lights just went up. I love miracles like this. It wasn't the sun. God didn't create the sun until the fourth day. The fourth day, he said, the sun, the moon, and the stars. What light was that? That was the light of God, and that was the darkness of evil that God was dispelling in that place. Because something went tragically wrong in God's creation. Before man ever sinned, Satan fell, and he brought darkness to this world. And we're going to walk you through that in just a moment, a little bit deeper. But it goes on to say, darkness was on the face of the deep. And then what does God do whenever darkness comes into your life? The Spirit of God begins to move. He begins to hover. It's literally a word in the Hebrew that means like a hen sitting on an egg. And when God begins to nestle down in your life, and He begins to bring the warmth and the heat and the protection of His Spirit around you, things begin to happen. He begins to cultivate in your heart life. He begins to bring about a transformation that's only explainable by the Spirit of the living God. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's talk a little bit about the origin of matter. Here's the first question we have to ask. This is a question that scientists must ask somewhere along the way. Is matter eternal? In other words, was there always just matter? It begs a question, doesn't it? If it's not eternal, then it acted before it was created. Did you follow that? Where did matter come from? And we'll say, as our worldview, it came from God. God created, and then they'll say, where did God come from? We'll say, God is eternal. It's interesting, the scientist, the physicist, doesn't want to say that matter is eternal because that doesn't make sense but they don't want to go into the God camp because that's a little scary because then I have to admit there's a God where did matter come from was it eternal did it all begin with a big bang was there this just collection and 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 pressure and heat and everything that came together and created this life that now has evolved to this place according to the Big Bang Theory the traditional one This world is about 13.7 billion years old. That's a safe number. You know why? Nobody remembers that. (laughs) I can't remember 13.7 billion years ago. I can't tell you a young rock from an old rock. If I pick up two rocks, they both look like rocks to me. Is that 13 billion or is that 1 billion? I really don't know. And honestly, I don't care unless somebody's throwing it at me about it. Now let me show you this diagram that came from NASA. Now this is a wonderful diagram that explains the origin of the universe. It explains the Big Bang. And you you take some time and you can study that and you'll see how this thing started happening as an inflection back there in the beginning, you know, and there's all this quantum fluctuations that are going on and things are beginning to happen. and, and, uh, And I looked at that and I said, isn't it interesting the shape of the universe that they have? I actually heard Carl Sagan say this years ago. I was watching him on the Discovery Station. He was saying, what is the shape of the universe? He said, it's kind of like a cloak or kind of like a bell. And I'm listening and I'm thinking, of course it is, because that's what the Bible says the shape of the universe is. The Bible says the universe is shaped like the cloak of the high priest. Well, as I began to look at that a little bit further, I thought, not only that, but when the midrash the jewish writings the ancient jewish writings when they describe something they describe the shape of the bells that are attached to the bottom of the robe of the high priest which are really replicating the the whole uh robe of the high priest and in the midrash it says its shape is related to the vault of heaven like a bell Now watch this. It looks kind of like a bell to me or a communion cup. How about you? (laughs) It's shaped like a bell. And then the, the, the Jewish writers said this. The bell's motion can represent the extremes of good and evil, death and immortality. So when that high priest would go into the presence of God in this Robe that was shaped like the vault of heaven with these bells that are shaped like the vault of heaven, and you heard the ringing of those bells as that high priest went into the presence of God. It was a reminder that when you go before God, you're either going to walk away with life or you're going to walk away with death based on your faith response to God. And God shaped this in the universe in an amazing way. In John chapter 1 and verse 3, listen to what God says All things, how many things? All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. That's pretty clear. God is the creator of all things. How about Psalm 33 and verse 6? By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Not evolved. They were made. And by the host of them by the breath of his mouth. You know what the breath of his mouth is? That's the hebrew word that we translate spirit It's ruach. That means the spirit of god He breathed the world into existence. Guess what he does when you he breathes life into your very being Now, let's talk about what happened and the explanation of evil Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's go back to that verse in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth Now in the hebrew text, it's called the masoretic text There's a little mark that appears right after verse 1. It's called a Rebhia. And a Rebhia means pause. Don't keep reading for a moment. Take some time. Think about what just happened here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Stop and think about that. Don't get in a hurry to read to verse 2, in other words. How did God create the heavens and the earth? What did it look like? It says he created them. Well, let's go a little bit further to Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 18. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth, who made it, who established it. Now look at this. Who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. Now, what makes that interesting is when we go to verse 2. The earth was without form and void you know the word was there in the hebrew it's literally the word became it's the same word that was used remember when lot's wife became a pillar of salt she was we wouldn't say she was always a pillar of salt she became a pillar of salt something happened something changed and so the earth became without form and void and a darkness was on the face of the deep what darkness was it you see it was a spiritual darkness that was on that there was something cataclysmic happened to our world that changed our world. And then it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Let me tell you what I believe that darkness was. You see, when you go to the book of Genesis, chapter three, Satan is there. He's already fallen, right? Adam and Eve are there. They're, you know, they're they're given authority and dominion over all of that. And Satan shows up and immediately he begins to try to lure them into sin into compromise away from God And you say okay, where did he come from because there's nothing in chapters 1 2 or 3 that tells us of the origin of the fall of Satan or of evil? So we have to go into our bibles and go a little deeper So i'm going to take you on this journey and I realize we're just going to shovel a lot of scripture to you here And a lot of ideas to allow you to go home and and think about and dig deeper But isaiah chapter 14 look what it says God is speaking to his, This one that we know is lucifer and he said how you are fallen from heaven. O lucifer son of the morning How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. Now to assume that he was ascending into heaven, what heaven? Where was he? To ascend means to go up. It says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. What throne did he have? He had a throne that was somehow below heaven. So he said, I'm going to take my throne and I'm going to lift it up to heaven above the stars of god and i will sit on the mount of the congregation in the farthest sides of the north i will ascend above the heights of the cloud seems to Ill- illustrate an atmosphere i will be like the most high and yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying is this the man who made the earth tremble who shook kingdoms the earth tremble what kingdoms because this is at his fall who made the world as a wilderness who made the world how did that happen when did that happen is that what genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 is talking about who destroyed its cities who did not open the house to prisoners We're left with a lot of questions here, but let's go a little deeper the other scripture that relates to the fall of Satan is Ezekiel 28 It's even more enlightening in a couple of areas Ezekiel chapter 28. It says you were the anointed cherub who covers I established you you were on the holy mountain of God Now the holy mountain of God is on earth. We know that from scripture Hebrews teaches us that it's all through the writings of of Moses You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. So this Lucifer, this, this son of the morning, this cherub was perfect. He was without sin. But then he sinned. When iniquity was found in you, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. So what did God do? You tried to lift yourself up? I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. So here's what I want you to keep in mind. Whatever view you take of the origin of the universe, the length of the universe, how old is it, how young is it, it's not It's not a matter that should divide us Nobody was there We're trying to get the best perspective and explain the most we can from scripture So some of you are young earth Advocates you believe the world is six thousand years old and you have a great little matrix of how that all works in your mind And some of you are old earth and some of you might even be theistic evolutionists Can I just say this? That is not the things that ever should divide us. Those are not the things. We have to come to the place where we believe that God is the creator and sustainer of all things, that without Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, there is no life, there is no salvation, there is no hope. You're not going to make it any other way. But don't let some perspectives get in the way of this. My perspective is this. Here's what happened god created the heavens and the earth i don't know how long ago that was i can take five billion i can take 50 billion it doesn't matter to me something cataclysmic happened to our world and it took that world that god created and somehow it transformed it and it made it into a wilderness because of the fall of satan it appears from the book of isaiah and ezekiel that satan was on earth had a throne and somehow was in some functioning capacity on this planet before Genesis 3 the details are not not all there all we have is something to guide us and this world became a wilderness and so when God begins this creation process it's interesting he only uses the word create three times in those six days of creation and the other days he uses the word made in other words He created three things, and one of them was not the earth. What he did was he created it initially in chapter 1, but then it's almost like he reformed it. He reshaped it. He brought it back to life. The old King James had the the scripture, and it kind of helped us to understand it. It said to Adam, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. In other words, the earth was plenished. Now it needs to be replenished so as we begin to navigate through this i want you to look at the spirit who moves this idea of the this argument for god and how god works and how does all of this come together is meaningless if we don't move it down to where we live the spirit of god was moving in that day and the spirit of god is moving today it says in genesis 1:2: the spirit of god was hovering over the face of the water can i just ask you right now to imagine and to believe and to receive this idea that the Spirit of God right now is hovering over your life. Right now, he is like a a hen that sits on an egg. That's what that word means. And what he's doing, he's surrounding you with his warmth. He's surrounding you with his love. And he says, I want to do something in your life. And what is it the Spirit of God wants to do? I believe he wants to do three things. I think he wants to create, first of all, new life if you don't know jesus christ he wants to create new life in you no man can come to the father except the spirit of god draws him when the spirit comes he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment so when the holy spirit comes part of the way he feels in us is we feel a little guilty about not following god that's a good thing he wants to create something he wants to secondly he wants to convict us of something I can't do this apart from God. I can't live my life apart from God. Every time I try, I mess it up. Every time I walk with God, God comes through. It doesn't mean life is always easy, but he convicts me and he shows me that I'm not God. He is. And then third, he wants to convert. If you haven't haven't converted to Jesus Christ, I want you to know that salvation apart from him, there is none. He wants to transform you. He wants to change you. If you are a Christian, he wants to convert your thinking of this world into the thinking of God. It's amazing the the transformations. Wednesday I had eight meetings with people. I don't even know how I had eight meetings. And I go back and I look at those lunches and those coffees and those meetings and staff and dinner and all that kind of stuff And I and I just kind of take a a a view from 30,000 feet if you will and say what what all was going on in people's lives? And I realized it was transformation People were coming to a better understanding and awareness of who god was in their life And how they could hear from god and how they could follow god and that really is our message When the psalmist thought about our his sins and thought about god's universe looks in what he said in psalm 103 verses 11 and 12 for as the heavens are high above the earth so great is his mercy toward us who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us think about that think about your personal shortcomings your sin think about the things that Times that you feel like you let God down. Guess what? He does. He says I can push those as far as the east is from the west You want to see the depth of my mercy look into the stars? It's deeper than that We live in this in this galaxy of that is expanding continually which scripture says in the book of Hebrews, by the way, it's interesting, scientists came up with this idea that, that our universe is, is expanding and, and the Bible says in Hebrews that he is a Lord of worlds to come. Even the Bible affirms that. If we measure the mercy of God by the stars, we begin to understand how vast and how great the love of God is for us. And the cross is a demonstration of the grace and the forgiveness that we find in God. Today, we're going to share communion. We're going to go from this big picture. Where did the world come from? What's matter all about? And we're going to bring it right down to you and me. And when I take that cup and when I take that bread, it really comes down to this one God who created and sustains the universe, who died on the cross for me, who loved me so much that he gave his life for me. And when I take that bread, I'm saying, I believe that Jesus died. When I take that cup, I believe Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead to give me eternal life. So it's not just a ritual that we do. It's not just something that is a nice kind of end of service. It is a statement of faith. I believe that. I believe that Jesus died, and I have accepted him into my life as my Lord and my Savior. It's also for us who, who make that statement to say, to examine our hearts. Is there anything in my heart that I need to confess to you, God? Is there anything, God, the way I think, the way I talk, the way I act, Is there anything right now? I want you just to take and condense your life down and say to the the Spirit of God this question. God, is there anything right now that I need to give over to you? Would you just allow the Spirit of God to just wash that out of your system? Would you give it over? Maybe you're offended by someone. Give it up. Maybe you're hurt by someone. Give it up. Maybe you're mad and you're angry. Just give it up maybe you have a divided mind and you're one day you're serving god and the other day you're serving yourself just give it up because it's the blood of christ the bible says it cleanses us from all sin all sin let's pray together as we take communion together heavenly father as we pray god we have we have probed the depths of things that we have very little know- knowledge of God, I admit. God, we don't believe that, that you have birthed this world without a purpose, that there is a purpose for every single person here, and every person here is extremely valuable to you. And God, you love us in spite of our shortcomings, you love us in spite of our sin. The greatest demonstration of love was on the cross where where this God, who is the creator, sustainer of the universe, died and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they do. And God, we get so human in our thinking, we can even justify it in the spirit. But God, we have to lay it all aside and embrace the cross, embrace the love that's found in Jesus Christ. So God, as we share communion together, we share it in a spirit of love and grace to one another, reminding us, God, that the unity of the spirit is critically important. And that we're saying we love one another, we encourage one another, we support one another, and we share this body and this blood as a statement of our faith in Jesus Christ.